looking at all the assets, looking at all the, the minerals that we have and decided, hey, we could prospect on this stuff too. We can promote these leases. And so one thing that we're doing with our leases, so lease sales is we're putting leases up for a bid also. Welcome to Energy Builders, a podcast about the geologists, engineers, roughnecks, entrepreneurs, and many more that are building in oil and gas. On today's episode, my guest is Chris Wiggers. Chris is a director in the Minerals Management Division of the Oklahoma Commissioners of the Land Office. The CLO manages the lands and funds that form a trust established to help fund public education in the state of Oklahoma. Prior to his time at the CLO, Chris was a senior geologist at Devon Energy. On today's episode, we discuss Chris's evolution as a geologist, transitioning from private to public service, and the CLO being the largest mineral manager in the state of Oklahoma. Chris and I had a fantastic time on this episode, and I know you're going to learn a lot from him as well. Here we go. Our goal with these Energy Builder podcasts are to be, um, um, you know, casual conversations with different people in the oil and gas industry. And uh, so I'm excited to have you be a part of it um, and and just have a conversation about your, uh, you know, your experience in the private side of the industry as well as in the public sphere. So excited to have you on here, Chris. Yeah, this is this is the first time I've done something like this, so I'm kind of interested because I, obviously I see, I see, uh, you know, other ones are, uh, and yeah, the conversations are very uh, interesting, and um, yeah, I, you know, where I currently work at is a is a unique opportunity that uh, I think landmen are pretty familiar with, but as a geologist, a lot of my geologist uh, peers didn't know anything about my career agency. So yeah, the the position that I'm in right now. Gives me just a different look of the uh, of the industry versus where I was before. Well, why don't we start there, uh, Chris? Okay. Why don't you share uh, what your 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 title is, your role right now, and uh, you know the bureau you're at, and, and what you do on a day to day basis. What's that look like? So yeah, uh, I'm the director for mineral management, a division here at the commissioners of the land office, and essentially that is in charge of all the subsurface or all the mineral royalties that the uh, state receives royalties on that that basically funds public school systems. So uh, we've got three different uh, asset groups here. We have commercial real estate, real estate, and then the minerals. And commercial real estate is the buildings um, and the real estate is more of the ag leases. And so all three of those, we get royalties or fees that then we uh, disperse those funds to the public school system. And this is not common. I mean, this is not uncommon. Most states west of the Mississippi do this type of work. So uh, most um, have, a, have a land office. They have royalties that they receive from oil and gas. They have uh, royalties that they receive from farmers or fees from farmers that take care of the land, grow and uh, graze and crop. So, um, yeah. Currently, we have about 1.2 million acres of minerals and about 725,000 of surface. And so, yeah, it keeps me keeps me uh, keeps me busy. Good, good. That's awesome. It's how does the state end up with these minerals? Are these state lands? Are these 
do these minerals get uh, donated to the state? Do they get taken over? Uh, explain great. some of the ways the state comes to own them. Yeah, great question. Um, so we were set up through the Enabling Act, and the Enabling Act was set up uh, through the U.S. Constitution and actually before Oklahoma statehood. So our agency was set before the uh, any other agency was uh, created uh, through the state of Oklahoma. So the federal government back during during the land run days uh, provided or uh, donated land to these states for public school. And uh, our state's a little bit unique because of the Indian territories and the five civilized tribes. But uh, so east of uh, on the eastern part of the state, um, we have minerals, uh, subsurface minerals. Um, but we don't have any surface rights. Uh, that's all the five civilized tribes. So most of our surface is essentially west of I-35 and west to Panhandle, that sort of thing. Um, and these are lands that, and I'm speaking just for the minerals, but these are lands that these are minerals that we cannot uh, sell, we cannot buy. So what we have is what we have. Um, and we've acquired those, you know, some time ago, probably like during the 50s, um, we did have, we did receive minerals from mortgages and that type of thing from uh, owners. But um, since then, uh, we, we, what we have is what we have. And, uh, and then we have lease sales every other, uh, every other month that basically give people the opportunity to nominate leases and then uh, leases that are awarded for the benefit of uh, oil and gas royalties. And what's that, uh, what's that? process look like is that the you mentioned this uh nominating uh the leases is that something that the clo uh runs do you work with third parties is that all in-house what's that look like yeah that's been a that's actually been a changing uh transitional period for us when it comes to our lease sales uh we used to do that all in-house uh they were silent bids and uh we would have operators or mineral lessees that want to nominate leases and we would take those and then uh, everybody would have a chance to bid on those uh, in a blind bid. Uh, we would, once the lease sale was done, then we would look at those and then award and reject those. Since uh, in the middle of uh, COVID or the pandemic, we switched over to EnergyNet. And so now we currently use EnergyNet as a, as a provider for our lease sales. And uh, they've been a, a wonderful, a wonderful partnership. Um, we've increased our footprint in terms of who they're advertising and marketing to. Um, and in, in that, we've increased our lease sale bonuses. Um, and it's still going up. I mean, a lot, a lot of it has to do with COVID-2 coming out of it. But we can uh, tie it directly to EnergyNet in terms of when we started using them and starting to see that uptick. So uh, as a operator of Merrill Leslie, it's basically you just have to set up an account through EnergyNet, and then that will give you the opportunity to bid on um, bid on our minerals. That's great. So let's let's back up a little bit. Um, we've been talking about your role uh, currently at the CLO here in Oklahoma, and but let's back up. I I, I know um, that you had a quite a bit of uh, experience in the private side of the oil and gas industry. So where did you cut your teeth? Where did you start? Well, I'll go back to, I mean, I'm originally from Michigan, so I uh, came down to OSU uh, for my master's in geology, and uh, I had nothing, I knew nothing about the oil business once I, I got down to Oklahoma, and uh, kind of like uh, once you get the bug in you, you can't get it out of you, so uh, 
Right. So I graduated from Oakland State in 2003 and uh, got hired on right with Devin directly out of college. I was a, I was with them for about 16 years, a uh, wonderful career, um, and uh, got to explore uh, different basins, uh, Anadarko Basin, Fort Worth Basin, Powder River Basin, East Texas Basin. So they gave me a great opportunity to move, move around and uh, look at different geology. I'm a, my background is geology, and uh, so... Uh, got to be part of some of the biggest uh, first unconventional plays uh, in the Shell Revolution. So I uh, cut my teeth on the Barnett, cut my teeth on the Woodford when uh, Woodford was explored and first discovered in Oklahoma. So horizontal drilling in uh, Arcoma, uh, I was there working uh, working those plays. Um, and so, yeah, it, uh, Barnett was is a big part of my career and got to see lots of different things and and got to see got to see a Devon from before horizontal through the through the revolution of the Shaler revolution to see where Devon is today. And so it's it's been it's, it was a quite a quite a ride. Uh, in 2019, I trans uh, transferred over to the state, and uh, and like I said before, not knowing a whole lot about the land office. Once I got into the land office, I was quite uh, surprised of how much work there was to be done. Uh, how much money to be made for the public school system and and also to keep a very close eye on the oil and gas industry through the fact that uh, it's it's still in my blood and uh, I love doing it. So uh, it has been a little of a learning curve. I, it, this is in the, on the mineral side, it's more of the land business. So uh, I've got to experience and learn a different uh, part of the industry, which is quite unique. Yeah, uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit because I mean, I'm, I, as you're talking about that, I was I was thinking about the the kind of different shifts you had to make mentally. Um, uh, let's start at like the going from conventional vertical wells uh, at Devon to the unconventional plays. What was what was that like? Just seeing that unfold and develop, and how did you have to evolve as a geologist through that? I think the biggest thing is is just the team aspect. Uh, and Devin was really great about putting teams together. Um, and it wasn't so much, uh, you know, for the conventional side of it, you know, putting plays together, putting prospect together. You guys, you know, you're pretty close with a landman trying to find acreage and find specific spots for those conventional wells. So when un unconventional came along, like to me, my opinion, it switched a little bit of role in terms of you get you got you became a lot closer to your production engineer and your reservoir engineer and your drilling engineer uh, in terms of what are we drilling through, what are we completing, what are we stimulating, and as a geologist, uh, looking at the rock from a vertical standpoint versus a lateral standpoint, it changes quite drastically. And so, when you get to the unconventional and working with the completion engineer, um, looking at the stages, putting the stages together, eliminating stages, what purse, how big. It really became really uh, important to be really closely tied to your team. You got to have a good team. So uh, I think that's what you see a lot of the successful companies nowadays. Uh, they've got really good teams. They're successful with production and they're successful in and what they do on an everyday basis because they have really successful teams and those teams are uh, they've been together for a while they've been working they've they've gone the ups and downs together and so uh, yeah that team aspect is huge when it comes to the unconventionals 
Yeah. So thanks for that explanation. That was, that's really, I mean, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, people, people are what's most important, right? When you're trying to do something really incredible. I mean, we've realized that with, you know, when you have all the right people in place on a project, uh, on a drilling project, I mean, you can, you can, whatever problem comes your way, which yeah. they're going to come, you get everybody together and put your heads together and figure out a way forward. And it's just, when that chemistry is not there, the right people aren't there. Everything's yeah, harder. Yeah, you, you know so, you're going to have problems. Uh, it's it's so how are we going to react to it? How are we going to change and try to prepare for it? But um, you're, you're dealing with Mother Nature, and so and so you can have the greatest yeah, seismic, exactly. you can have the greatest uh, experience in drilling wells, but you're still going to have those those things that pop up, and, and, and um, you got to solve them. And I, I think geosteering has just been a, a breakthrough in terms of just a different way of looking at how we drill the wells and where we're at. And so the more data, the better uh, to kind of lower that risk and making decisions is, uh, is from what I've seen in the past, uh, your best solution, your best way to drill a well and uh, a, a, a economic well to, to begin with. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, on the conventional vertical wells, working closely with a landman. How do you think that prepared you for you know, like you said, when you moved into uh, uh, the land office here, what, what was that like? Did that prepare you? Um, was it, did that help in getting your head around uh, the land side of things, the minerals, the royalties, managing all that? Or what were some of the challenges and how were you prepared for them from your experience in the? So just like industry? geology, I mean, I had mentors early on with gel in, in my geology career. And, and at the same time, I had mentors in the land, in the land department at Devon. So I worked with some really great uh, landmen, and I think I think the, the important thing there is is what the landmen do and their their daily workflow. I think what ultimately is, is they structure leases, they structure contracts that actually tie the operator to the to the surface owner or the or, or the mineral owner, and that contract to me is really important because a lot of them say you know. Uh, you're going to you're going to be a prudent operator. You're going to develop this land. You're going to develop these minerals to your best of ability, and that that really ties. You know that was really taught to me early on to keep that contract uh, as a as you're doing a duty for the mineral owner and you're doing a duty for the mineral lessee, and and that's kind of where that social license comes into effect of being able to drill the land and produces. Uh, the mineral owner is very, very important. The mineral lessee is very important. The working interest owners are very important in terms of what they're risking, what they're putting up for uh, for the drilling of a well. And so, I think you know my early mentors in the land in the land department at Devon. You know, they also had a prospective type of thinking where they're searching out open land and they're searching places where they could get a good deal. And then they would bring it. They would bring it to me and bring it to our team and say, hey. And does does reservoir and geology, you know, think this would be a great idea? And we would give them the the okay for that. Uh, I think what's different now with the unconventionals, it's a lot bigger area. Hey, go, you know, go search this whole area and whatever you find, you know, go ahead and get it, that type of thing. But um, when I got here to the land office, um, knowing the different, all the different zones in the Anadarko Basin, all the prolific producing zones and essentially, you know, with our leases, and it's important to know that not, maybe not everybody does know that, but our leases are specifically tied to certain formations. So uh, 
there could be leases out there that look uh, active, but they might be only active in the Woodford and uh, the Mississippian is, is open, let's say, in the scoop stack trend. So you have the ability to go in there and pick up leases in, in the Mississippian if it was just Woodford. And so knowing those depth severances, understanding the, what those mean, um, I think there was an opportunity here at the land office to uh, probably in the historical management of the land office, not having that oil and gas background. Just because, I mean, we deal with agriculture here, we deal with commercial. And so it's not just centered around oil and gas. So uh, myself and my and, uh, uh, my leadership, uh, Dan Whitmarsh, who's the secretary of uh, the acting secretary for the land office, he's a uh, previous uh, Chesapeake land man. And so we looked at the land office, looking at all the assets, looking at all the, the minerals that we have and decided, hey, we could we can prospect on this stuff too. We can, we can promote these leases. And so one thing that we're doing with our leases, so lease sales is we're putting leases up for a bid also. So not only do operators nominate, we are also putting uh, leases up that we think are interesting, that we think there is a uh, possible to get some higher lease bonus premiums uh, than instead of waiting for an operator or mineral lessee to, to put those up. So I've taken so you guys are you guys are actually taking some some of your geology background and go hey there's there's some there's some targets here that an operator might be interested in let's let's tell this story and correct yeah so I've taken that prospective type of attitude from yeah. the private business to here just because um, I mean you could argue with our with our land footprint I mean we are the largest mineral owner in the state of Oklahoma but. And in terms of the value of that, we rival some a lot of the companies here in Oklahoma. So instead of just letting that sit there, you know, we want to we want to promote all that. And so um, we are now we're a regular down at Nate. So you'll see me down uh, in February if you're going to be there. I'd love to meet you. Um, but yeah, we're there talking to people, uh, yeah, explaining and promoting and, and and telling them the reason why. I mean, our lease terms are very simple. It's a three year, three sixteenth primary term. You know, nothing, nothing too, uh, nothing too complex. And so, if it is uh, you're a prospector that needs the land first, and then prospect and come up with an idea, or if you're a you know a centrist geologist who comes up with a prospect and then needs the land after that, we're a great resource to kind of start building that foundation. So we uh, work with a lot of different uh, main land brokers here in the state. We also work with a lot of the operators that you see drilling wells currently. Uh, we work with a lot of different uh, folks and uh, all for the promotion of oil and gas uh, here in the state. That's great. I love hearing how you're, you're actually, you guys are being proactive and, 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 and making, you know, applying your backgrounds and saying, Hey, this is, this is valuable. Take a look at this. I think that's, that's fantastic. Can you talk a little bit, Chris, about, uh, I mean, how much, how involved are you in the, the real estate and the commercial real estate? Is it, or are you full, fully focused on just the oil and yeah, gas great. Uh, side of the Yeah, great office? question. You get so in, we all mesh together and I'll give you a couple different examples how we mesh together. So uh, here at the land office, all the renewable stuff that you're hearing, uh, solar, wind, uh, that is all run through our commercial real estate. And how we mesh together in some places is where, if there is uh, if there's activity for solar, let's just let's use solar as an example. Um, if they're building their solar panels or designing their solar panels, 
in areas where there's active operations going on, that's kind of how we that's how we get kind of get into the picture. So, for example, some of the past projects we've had um, where there's operations where there's wells that are maybe only a thousand feet deep, they produce from two three hundred feet. Uh, some of the solar companies, for insurance reasons, want to have they want to own from the surface down to five hundred feet or three hundred feet, and that's not a problem if there's no oil and gas activity. But where we have leases that are two hundred feet, three hundred feet. Now we're dealing with active mineral leases that cannot be touched. Um, so that's how we that's how we start that relationship or that co-relationship when it comes to renewables. Um, maybe trying to clean stuff up. A lot of the a lot of the places that are um, some of these solar projects are being put in. You know, it's a lot of oil, a lot of old oil um, operations, old tanks that need to be cleaned up, wells that need to be plugged. Uh, those are things that we'll start working on, and in, in terms of with the OCC and, and getting that help, we've from our from our point of view, we've got a really good working relationship with the OCC. I think they're they're just as important to this whole prospect of um, proactive oil and gas, proactive renewability. Uh, they're they're a part of that too. Now, when it comes to the real estate or, or the ag side of that, obviously our surface tenants. Uh, also get the benefit of if there's uh, oil and gas operations on the surface, uh, they also get a part of the, the surface damage uh, fees in terms of if their crops are damaged, that type of thing. Um, and so trying to keep those parties uh, together, sometimes it's a clean, clean operation. Sometimes it's a little bit rough around the edges in terms of trying to appease the uh, surface owner and also trying to He's a mineral owner. And here in the state of Oklahoma, minerals uh, are, they, they, they dominate the surface. And so uh, mineral, mineral lessees have a right to be on the land. Um, and sometimes that's not the same person as who owns the surface. So uh, with that said, it's always a constant working relationship. Uh, and then sometimes where the surface owner is the mineral owner, then yeah, getting those wells uh, through and processed is uh, is working. We have field representatives, field land representatives out in the uh, out in the state. They're more for they're they're concentrated on the ag side, uh, but they do all of our appraisals when it comes to the surface damage. They they appraise those for all of our surface damage fees. So surface damage is run by the minerals, but we also use the uh, ag guys for our appraisal work. And um, so yeah, that so it's it's those three asset groups here at the land office. They all work together. Chris, I got one last question, kind of backing up where you were you were mentioning working with like solar development or wind. What what are these um, what are these leases looking like, and what are, is there provision being made as far as I mean, we're starting to see some of these older farms in other parts of the the country like get to the point of not being economical, right? What's what's being done as far as lease agreements on being sure that these operators of these solar panels and and I mean we've got you know, we've got years and years and decades and decades, et cetera, in the oil and gas industry, centuries even, uh, you know, taking care of and remitting a location and cleaning. What what are the leases looking like and agreements to make sure that that's happening in these? In so, the yeah, you know, the saying, you know, I don't want it. Uh, I don't want it in my backyard, you know, and they used to be like, I don't want a gas well or I don't want an oil well in the back of my backyard. Well, I think now in hindsight, we take a look at the solar panels and the wind and uh, I think some people are probably saying, you know, an oil well or a gas well is not all that bad. You know, 
I'd rather have that kind of uh, obscured versus, uh, you know, a big uh, windmill. I think that's important. I, I know the leases that we've been uh, that we've been uh, approving and agreeing to. They've got language in there that uh, talks about that they got to clean it up. I think though actions are, are more important than than words. And I think for us, we have not seen you know let's say twenty years down the road some of these solar companies walk away, go uh, bankrupt, merge with other companies, and then they walk away. We've seen it here in the oil business. What you know that is a that's a constant. What we're dealing with in terms of why we have so many orphan wells is is people that did not follow that contract that they signed with the mineral owners or the state of saying, hey, I'm going to plug the well when I'm done producing it. I'm going to remove the equipment and I'm going to remediate the site. A lot of guys will just walk away. Uh, and that's what we're dealing with. And I don't see that I don't see that being a difference with the solar and renewables. But I think the big difference though is is there's going to be a lot more hazardous uh, material that is on the surface of uh, the state of Oklahoma, uh, windmills, uh, uh, solar panels. And I think the bond, you know, the bond right now to be an active operator in the state of Oklahoma is, is 25,000. I think the, the, you know, this is getting out of my expertise, but the bond for solar and wind probably needs to be a lot higher just because the teardown of a windmill is going to be a lot more than what an oil well is going, you know, just a typical average 5,000 foot oil well. So, uh, right. I think that needs to have serious, some serious conversations about what we, what, what, what the, what, what's going to look like 20 or 30 years down the road and using the oil and gas as an example of maybe in some areas, what not to do. I think we've got some operators, some, uh, main operators here in Oklahoma that do a wonderful job and, and they, they take in pride what those mineral lease contracts are all about. They're a prudent operator. They, when the well is done producing, they take it down, remove it, and remediate it. And uh, but there's obviously some people out there that don't don't see it that way, and, and that's why we, we deal with orphan wells we've got today. Yeah. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Uh, where do we send people to find out more about the? Oh, the you're gonna put me on the spot because the, uh, the the website. So um, if you go to Google, if you just go to a search engine and just type in commissioners of the land office, Oklahoma, you're going to find our website. Um, if you're interested, this could be, I mean, that's what I'm getting back to before, you know, the landmen at all these companies, they know the land office pretty well. All the land brokerage companies know it, but your reservoir engineers, your geologists, uh, your, some of your independents, they might not know what we do. And so our website is a, is an avenue to learn how to nominate minerals. Um, we've got GIS capabilities on there to where you can look where we have active leases and where we don't have active leases. And I'll just throw this quote. I mean, we have 1.2 million minerals. Currently, we have somewhere between 300 and 350,000 of active leases. So that tells you that there's a lot of land still left out there to be uh, uh, to be nominated, to be leased. And... Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, from Cimarron County all the way down to uh, McCurtain County, uh, there there is minerals to be had, and uh, and we kind of pride ourselves on being very, uh, very flexible, very pro oil and gas to, to work with you. And if there's any questions, holler at us, and we'd be happy to uh, be happy to work with you. Awesome. Well, Chris, Mr. Oxen, it was a great talking to you, and uh, I know. Uh, that, you know,
person that we've had, you know, a working relationship to. And so I think it's a, it's a test that we, you know, we try to work with all the different kinds of people here in the state and on uh, for the, for our one more main mission is to pub, uh, to fund public schools and to help, uh, from the rural counties of Oklahoma to the main uh, to the main school districts here in Oklahoma City, you know we want to help them all. So, Adam, it was great talking to you. Thank That's you. Fantastic. Thanks again, Chris. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to, or share with someone you think might enjoy this content. Thanks a lot for listening to Energy Builders. Mm-hmm.